fake one. Good morning, Bridgeway Church. So wonderful to be here with everybody and to see everyone. It's just great. If there's anyone still out in the foyer, just make your way on in. We're going to get started with our service and with singing. Darren reminded me this morning of uh, Psalms 145, which we were challenged to memorize last year. Starts with, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And that's how it starts. Please stand, say hello to those around you, maybe they're old friends, maybe they're new friends, and we'll get started with singing here right away. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Everybody else is supposed to yeah. Sing, not us. Yeah, we're just yeah. a set Thanks to the Lord, I've got a king. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, 
you up here. Me too? You too. Oh, okay. this worked out so you could be here, Chantel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have to be a little um, creative. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> we know how to get Chantel right. into church, you know. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so, dear Sharon and Chantel, on behalf of the Bridgeway Quilters, it is my pleasure and honor to present you, Darren and Chantel, with this quilt. Thank you. We thank you for your dedication to our church and for your example in your leadership. Each of you in the congregation is a part of this as well. Some cut, some piece, some quilt, others make a label, and others give money to the budget which the quilters can use. So thank you to you for that, for your contribution to the quilt, and thank you, Darren and Chantel, for loving us and being here. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Welcome here this morning. How are you doing? Good. You doing okay? Yeah, that's good. Leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. I'll tell you what. Rachel this morning opened the service. She was reading Psalm 145. We'll praise his name forever and ever. Do you remember what the next couple verses say? That one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Question is, what is this generation going to tell to the next generation? My friends, we have lived through quite the two years, haven't we? And this is going to become part of our story to the next generation. And part of that story is that God is faithful forever and ever. Forever he is strong. Forever he's with us. Forever and ever. So when we speak of these days, we're not going to talk about the two years where God was absent. We're going to talk about his faithfulness that never ended. Isn't that beautiful? And the love of a church family for other people in a church family. How about that? Oh, man. There's a sermon illustration in there somewhere. That was really pretty. Chantel's favorite colors are green and purple. So if you're wondering why the whole blanket was green and purple, I have a feeling they knew that. Those are her favorite colors. How about that? You guys. Okay, a few announcements this morning. Now that we've shed some tears in front of the whole church. We have some good things going on, and I want to let you know about some of them. One of them is this. The Saskatchewan MB Conference is having their yearly assembly. That's their uh, convention they have each year where we talk about what's going on in the Saskatchewan MBs. They call it their assembly and it is this upcoming Saturday. It's a Zoom broadcast instead of uh, being all together so anyone can join in. We're going to get an emailed Zoom link here at the church. Uh, we won't send it to all of you, only if you're interested. So if you want to see what's going on and you want to be a part of that, just contact us here at the office and you can jump into the Zoom and listen to what's going on with the Saskatchewan MBs this Saturday. 
King's Cafe wants to serve you treats and food, but they need help because Chantel can't make all the food. And uh, this morning she was making biscuits, and her biscuits are spot on. But you can't do it every Sunday morning. So if you want to help make food, there's a sign-up sheet uh, back at the office where we always keep our sign-up sheets. And if you want to bring some food, go mark your name down. And one of these Sundays, people can snack on your treat at the beginning of the uh, service out in the foyer. So they're looking for some help. And Taylor Jantz has something to let you know about. You know, Taylor's been running these sports, uh, Elevate Sports Ministry in the gym for the past couple months. She ran basketball and volleyball. Well, there is pickup basketball on Monday nights. This is for adults, adults and teens. So if you've been waiting to jump in some pickup basketball, Taylor's organizing it on Mondays, Monday nights, and you're welcome to jump in. If you want more information about that, uh, you just come talk to Patricia, and her and Taylor have been talking about it. But this will be starting right here soon. Monday nights, uh, just come and play some basketball here. So most of the Elevate stuff has been for the kids. This one is not for the kids. What else can I tell you? You look at your bulletin, and there's lots of exciting things. West Bank Bible Camp is gearing up, getting ready to go. And Becky Funk has an announcement in the bulletin about needing help for the kitchen and donations of meat. So if you are one of those people who can help in that way, Get a hold of Becky and get that sorted out. Lent services here in the community are starting. Those are Thursdays over the lunch hour for half an hour. So if you want to be a part or attend some community Lent worship services, that's in the bulletin. Daytime quilting is starting again. So take note of that. It's beginning on the 7th, which is tomorrow. So that's Monday, daytime quilting. There's a worship night coming up. On the 13th, that's a Sunday, and the prayer night, the monthly prayer meeting, that's going to be tomorrow night. Not much for birthdays and anniversaries. It's fairly quiet this time of year, but there is one. So happy birthday. Happy birthday to Jill, who is celebrating a birthday on the 8th, so two days from now. Happy birthday. Financial update, things are good. All the fun stuff in the bulletin that you get to see each week. We email out our bulletins, so if you're not part of the email group and you want a bulletin, let Patricia know in the office. We have two people that are coming up to make announcements today, because not every Sunday is just me. So, Ryan and Dwayne, come on up and give your announcements. Well, as many of you know, um, we have a transitional pastor coming in about a month, and um, we needed a place for him to stay. So Tim and Patricia have graciously offered uh, their rental house uh, for him to stay in. Um, It is being fixed up currently. Um, The thing that we need help with, though, is that it is unfurnished, as far as I know, right? So um, if... If you have any couches, bed, you know, different things, then um, talk to Patricia. She'll know exactly what we have, and so we don't get a, like, say, get eight beds or something like that. So if you talk to Patricia um, and do that, then uh, we'll know by the end of the month kind of what we need to, to get to finish off the space. But 
uh, yeah, if you have anything extra laying around, then I guess let Patricia know and and we'll get the space ready for for a transitional pastor. Good morning. I'm really happy to be able to see your faces today. Do you miss having masks or not? No? <laughs> Dave? What do you think? Yeah, Dave's good without, without having a mask. That's good. I don't know how many of you uh, know this about me, but I was born and raised at Vulcan, which is kind of halfway between Calgary and Lethbridge. And um, some of the weird things, some of the weirdest conversations that I heard at Vulcan as, as a you know, besides people wearing pointy ears some days and that kind of stuff, was that um, people were scared to drive to Calgary and drive on the Deerfoot. Um, because there's a lot of traffic. I don't know if you've driven on the Deerfoot before. Uh, there's a lot of traffic on the Deerfoot. And, uh, you know, lots of, lots of farm people, even my age, were like, ah, I'm not going to Calgary. I mean, I'd, I'd go at night because it's a little bit, it, there's not as much traffic there, but not during the, I'm not going during the day. And because they were worried about merging, they're worried about merging onto the Deerfoot and merging off. You know, maybe I'm going to get on there and I'm never going to get off. I'm going to go all the way to Edmonton and I can never get off. That's just weird. So I, I, that's not my announcement, but <laughs> anyway, there's, uh, <laughs> see, I, I, don't, I don't even have permission to do what I'm doing. I'm just up here kind of telling jokes. It's like stand-up comedy or something. Um, so nonetheless, so this is actually an announcement about adult Sunday school. Can you believe that? Um, so my announcement is, that I'm, I'm starting to feel some things be different. I mean, I'm feeling my mask not being on, yes. But I'm starting to feel some things be different. Ryan talked about transitional pastor come. Um, you know, when we have ministry team meetings and things, things that, I don't know, like, feels a little bit, does it feel different, Darren? Feels a little bit different. So what I want to do in adult Sunday school next week, so just next week only, you don't have to commit to ever coming again, nothing else. If you're interested how to merge into church, the church is already going, so if you're new or if you've, been, if you've been sitting on the sidelines for a year and a half or two years or however darn long it's been, um, if you're interested in merging into church, then come to Adult Sunday School next week. So there's a one-week talk about how to merge into church. I, the rest of it, you can imagine what we're going to talk about but uh, I'd encourage you to come and, and check that out next week. Just one week. You don't have to commit to ever coming again. I don't even, I'm not even going to take names. Nothing. If you're interested in how to merge the church, um, then uh, come next Sunday, uh, 9.30. So I, I have to give an advertisement for, for Adult Sunday School because now I'm competing against the coffee shop. How am I going to beat that? I'll take that off your hand. I was asked to bring you into a time of prayer this morning. And so I have given, I've given this some thought this past week, and I'd like to share with you some of those thoughts before we move into a time of prayer and an opportunity for you to worship by sharing your prayers 
publicly with this church family. Prayer plays a key role in our worship of God. What are the worship courses we sing, if not prayers set to music? What are the praise-filled Bible passages we read aloud on Sunday morning, if not prayers recited in unison? The Apostle Paul places prayer at the center of the Christian discipline of maintaining a continuous spirit of worship. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There are several reasons that prayer plays such an outsized role in worship. Understanding these reasons can help us maximize the impact of our worship. The author of Hebrews writes, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His point is that because of Christ's sacrifice, we have direct access to God. He urges us to make the most of our access by approaching God in prayer with a sense of confidence and boldness, knowing that our prayers will be heard and will be answered. By the same token, we should not be so bold that we lose sight of our surroundings. Prayer ushers us into the throne room of God. If we don't take a moment to observe the, absorb the implications of that, we can't fully appreciate the magnitude of the event. Prayer grants us a personal audience with the one who's created the universe, who parted the Red Sea for the Israelites, who kept Daniel safe in the lion's den, who sent a great fish to swallow Jonah, who sacrificed his only son, and who raised him from the dead. It's an astonishing opportunity when you think about it. So we must think about it. For best results, the boldness that the author of Hebrews recommends for approaching God in prayer should be mixed with a deep sense of awe and appreciation. Understanding who we're talking to and what a privilege it is helps us keep our priorities straight when we pray. The first fruits of our prayer belong to God. Ideally, then the bulk of our energy, passion, and creativity will go towards praising God and thanking Him for His work in our lives and in the world around us. The psalmist offers a master class in extolling the virtues of God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts you up. Psalm 3.8 we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare that your name is near. Psalm 75, 1. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Psalm 145. We can draw from their example or use our own experience and creativity to place our primary focus on God when we pray. Often when we turn to God in prayer, it's in response to circumstances in our life. A medical crisis, a broken relationship, a job loss, a sense of helplessness or hopelessness. We pray in times of desperation, imploring God to do something on our behalf. More often than not, we have a pretty clear idea of what we want him to do. In such cases, a prayer becomes an assignment. We give God a job and we wait for him to complete it. God is gracious. He will respond to emergency requests, though not necessarily in the ways that we want him to. However, when we pray in such a short-sighted way, 
we limit prayer's potential in our lives. Prayer, in its most potent form, is a daily or twice daily or hourly acknowledgement of God's place in our lives and of our place in His will. Focusing our attention first on God helps us maintain a pleasing to Him sense of humility and obedience as we extol His virtues and praise Him for His power, His wisdom, His love, and His ability to bring ultimate good from any situation, we can see our own circumstances for what they are, that is, firmly within His grasp. The Apostle Paul understood what it means to recognize our place relative to God in prayer. Acts 20 verse 36 tells us that he knelt down and prayed. Paul's kneeling posture reminded him that he, as he approached God as a servant, a beggar, we should approach him in the same way. Even if we don't have the opportunity to kneel physically when we pray or don't have the physical ability to kneel, our hearts should be bowed to God, seeking his purpose and not our own. The most profound example of seeking God's purpose in prayer comes from Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest, Jesus felt the full weight of what he was about to endure. He begins his prayer by saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. It was certainly an understandable request from someone who was being pushed to the limits of human endurance. But it's how Jesus ends his prayer that resonates with us. He follows his anguished plea with these words, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Even in his vulnerable state, Jesus' first priority is to align his will with God's. Our aim must be to follow his lead in our own prayers. After we pour out our hearts out to God, it's essential that we pray, in effect, no matter how urgent or important these things seem to me, they pale in comparison to the urgency and importance of your will. That is my first priority. That is the essence of worship and the essence of prayer. Now we would like to give you opportunity to share your prayer with us. If the Holy Spirit has placed something on your heart, please stand and an usher will bring you a microphone. It could be an expression of love for our loving God, an outpouring of your, your spirit of what he has done for you. Perhaps you are feeling led to pray for your family or somewhere in our church family. Maybe the weight of what is happening internationally is heavy on your heart. The freedoms we have to worship you today and the freedom we have to worship together, unmasked, should make our spirits soar. Let the Lord know how you feel. So please join with me in a spirit of kneeling before the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. If you feel led to say something, just please stand up. The usher will bring you a mic.
Good morning. I was in the store this week and saw California oranges. And I had to go to the clerk and say, it's a miracle that we can get oranges at all in the winter. But California oranges, oh, they were so good, such a treat. How much more amazing is it that I can speak to my Heavenly Father, my Creator, the one who's been through it all. Heavenly Father, I do praise you that in your vast plan for life, you chose not to leave us alone, but to enter our world. Thank you for the heritage I have, the people who told me about you and who encouraged me to pray. And I pray that you would help me to be an encourager in that same way. Help me not to forget what it's like to have access to someone who is so big that he can love everybody and so small that he can hold my hand. I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Somehow or other, you know, we are so blessed here to live in a free country and to um, be able to get together here, worship, without the threat of bombs falling all around us. I'm so reminded every day when we listen to the news, what we hear is the devastation in the Ukraine, which is home to a lot of our ancestors. So it's been on my heart that we need to remember, we have brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. We have, I don't know how many churches, but maybe 25 or something, um, fellowship churches in the, in the Ukraine of our denomination. And right now I want to pray for protection for them, for the leaders, for the congregations. So if you'll bear with me. Father God, you are sovereign. You see the hurt. You see the devastation, all in the name of what? Pray that you would put your hand of protection over our churches there, for the pastors, for the congregations, for the, um, keep them safe and help them to know what is the next step for them. Pray that they will be open to your guidance and your leadership and that they too could continue to worship you as we do here, amen.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom we have in this country to worship you, to come together, to praise your name, to lay before you what's on our hearts. And we thank you for being who you are, someone who loves us in spite of who we are. We just thank you for your greatest gift, sacrificing your son on the cross so that we don't have to uh, earn our way to heaven so that we have a chance of being with you. Lord, we just ask you to hear the many unseen prayers in this congregation, unheard prayers in this congregation. We ask that you bend our hearts to be in your will rather than us willing you to be in our will. Lord, thank you for this, again, for this morning of celebration and worship. Just help our hearts and spirits to express the gratitude that you've <clears throat> of what you've done for us. Lord, we ask the, all these things in your name. Amen. Please stand with us again as we continue to pray and worship in song.
Jesus' words to them were this, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, come to the altar. The altar is where the sacrifice is made. But you and I don't have to make the sacrifice. It was made for us. Who made the sacrifice? The shepherd of the sheep. But what was normally sacrificed on the altar? The altar is where the sheep died, but not this time. Not this time. This time it was the shepherd who was going to step in front of his sheep. Instead of carrying them to the altar to watch them lose their life, he protected every single one of them by sacrificing his own. So as you reach for your cup of communion, you hold in your hand the sacred symbol that we remember that our shepherd went to the altar so that you and I could sing this song with hope and with confidence that we ourselves wouldn't have to bear that penalty, that punishment. The Father's arms are open wide, oh, come to the altar. All weeks I've been reading through John 10, getting ready to talk about the Good Shepherd. It's backwards. It's backwards for the shepherd to step in front of the sheep. The sheep die and the shepherd is protected. For thousands of years, the shepherds brought their sheep to die on the altar. So for Jesus to stand up and say, it's not going to be that way anymore. Now the shepherd will lay down his life. That's going to change everything. And you and I together today sing the song of coming to the altar If that doesn't stir you up, if that doesn't make this a holy moment. Open up the top layer of your communion cup and take the little wafer that represents the bread. It was in John 6 that Jesus called himself the bread of the world. He multiplied food for thousands of people and said, I am their bread and then a few chapters later, it says, I'm the shepherd that will lay down my life. And in chapter 13, has the last supper with his disciples and physically breaks the bread in their presence with them. Guys, I'm not going to be here much longer, he says to them. I'm allowing my body to be broken for you. So as you take communion, you'll do this in remembrance of me that I'll lay my life down for you. I am the good shepherd, it says in John chapter 10. I know my sheep. They know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. Heavenly Father, as we as one family in this moment celebrate communion, this sacred moment, this symbol passed down from the generations before us and the generations before them, 
That when people gathered in your presence to worship you and celebrate you, they would break bread in a similar way to you with your disciples and they would remember the shepherd that laid down his life. Father, I want to thank you for my family here celebrating together this morning. We celebrate a lot of things, Lord Jesus. We celebrate peace and freedom when we look at a world that's just crying out for peace and freedom. And Lord, we celebrate that the restrictions that made our worship difficult for a long time have changed and it's filled our hearts with joy, Lord Jesus, and we worship that too. But what we love and appreciate more than all of those things, Lord Jesus, if you were to allow us to lose our freedom in this country, if the COVID restrictions came back and became worse, if all of those things fell apart, the one thing we would never lose is the salvation that we're celebrating right now with this wafer in our hands, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you for that, that that's never going away. Forever you are faithful, forever you are strong. Lord Jesus, I'm in your hand, we are in your hand. And you're never going to lose us. Thank you, shepherd, that you would lay down your life for the sheep. May this moment that we celebrate be a moment of worship to you. We love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the bread, for the broken body on the cross. We do this together in remembrance of you. Amen. And as you get ready to take the cup, the cup, Jesus said, was his shed blood leading to a new covenant, a new promise. It reminds me of just a few verses earlier in chapter 10 when Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. I've come that they may have what? Life and have it abundantly to the full. I've come so that they can have life. Jesus didn't just conquer death. He didn't just cover sin, but he handed out life. He's the gate that leads to life. Mm. We're going to read about that today in today's passage too in John 10. He has the authority to lay his life down and his authority to take it back up because death has no power over him. He is a God of life. Let's pray together before we take the cup. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Father, that so many years ago my Savior died in my place to cover my sin. And I want to thank you that he rose again, defeating death and offering life. Father, I want to thank you that I'm living in this new life, that I'm filled by your Holy Spirit, and that I can celebrate this life with my family. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you give up your life, that your blood would be shed on the cross so that we can continue to celebrate, so that we can continue to tell the story. 
I think of the man who was paralyzed, crippled by the pool. He wasn't able to walk, and you came, and you gave him back his life. The man who couldn't see, he was born blind, you came and healed him, you gave him back his life. Jesus, I want to thank you that you took the brokenness within us, and you regenerated us, filled us with your spirit, and brought us to new life. So Father, as we pray for this cup, and as we hold it in our hands, and we get ready to take it together, We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the abundant life that you offer to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way in and out to this life. You are the way to this pasture. May we never forget, Lord Jesus, just how sacred and holy this moment is to thank you for the resurrection that took place inside of us, that you took dead people and filled them with life. Lord, bless this cup as we take it together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Children's church time. They're mildly excited. Thank you so much to everyone that helps lead the children's church program. Thank you to the Miller students. So many of them have volunteered to help with the children's church program. Really appreciate that. Guess what? Somebody passed along an idea to me this morning, and I like it a lot, that because the Miller students are some of our special guests, we should let them lead the way into our lunch. Well, I'll tell you this, if you grab a Miller student, you go with them, and you can go first into lunch today, because we're having lunch together as a church. Some special people have been working on this lunch for us for the past couple days, and we're all having lunch together after. You're welcome to stay, and if you can't stay, that's just fine. All right, you got Matt in the front. (laughs) So if you grab a Miller student, you get to lead our way into the gym for lunch. Telling you, one of them, one of them lives half the year in a gold mine. Do you know which Miller student that is? If you don't, you should grab a Miller student and you should ask them, what? They live in a mine? Yeah, that's right. So you should go and figure out You don't know enough about these students, do you? You're going to find out, because now you need to know. I won't tell them, don't worry. Secret's safe with me. Okay. We're in John. John chapter 10. This is a continuation of John chapter 9. This is the conclusion of that conversation. When Jesus says these words, I'm the good shepherd... The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As I'm reading this, I'm wondering who's there? Who's he talking to? What's going on? Why was this revolutionary information? Why does this matter at all? Here, let's paint the picture. Imagine over here, you've got your Pharisees. 
You've got the ones who are convinced Jesus is demon-possessed. They've seen supernatural power and ability, but they don't give the credit to God. Over here, you've got some other Pharisees. They're ones who are on the edge. They're wondering, could this Jesus be the one that he claims to be? Could he be the anointed one? Could he be the Messiah that we've waited for? But he doesn't follow Sabbath the same way we do. He seems to hold it loosely. He heals this man. But on Sabbath, like, he doesn't line up with our expectations of our king. He speaks about a kingdom that's not of this world. He loves the outcast and the poor ahead of the religious. It doesn't make sense. But we can't deny the power that we see. Over here you've got a man seeing for the very first time. Born blind. And he's worshiping. The man over here, who knows, might be jumping up and down, might be on his hands and knees. He's praising the king. You have these different people all around Jesus. Who do you not have? This is where it hit me as I was reading this passage in John 10. Who do you not have at this conversation? Mom and dad. Where are they? They're gone. If you weren't here a couple Sundays ago, we're reading through John 9. This man has been blind his whole life. Jesus comes, makes mud, places it on his eyes, and says, if you go to the pool and wash, you're going to be able to see for the very first time. So he does. He goes to this pool and he washes, and he can see. He comes back and he can't believe it. And his neighbors and his friends, his community, they're split. Is this actually the man who was born blind, or is it not? Because something miraculous has happened, but we're not sure if it truly is him. Now they take him to the Pharisees, because this is a dramatic moment. And it's dramatic because the mud was made and the healing took place on Sabbath. So it looks supernatural, but it doesn't look like it honors God. So what are we in the presence of? A Messiah or the demonic? What is this? So they drag this man to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees begin this intense interrogation of him. We're going to sort this out. And they even bring in mom and dad. Why? Because they need to verify his identity, right? They ask mom and dad, is this your son and was he born blind? And mom and dad say, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. But who healed him and how he was healed, we don't know. He's a grown adult. Ask him, him, ask him himself. We're out of here and they leave. Here's the key verse. Chapter 9, 22. If you have your Bible with you, take a look at verse 22. I'm going to read it for you, but take a look at it. And I'm going to explain to you why I think this is the reason why it makes so much sense that Jesus would follow this conversation with a teaching about the shepherd. It says in verse 22, his parents said this, so they gave this response, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was Messiah, the anointed one, would be put out of the synagogue. 
That's why they said, he's of age, ask him. This was the world they lived in, where the Jewish religious leaders, the people they looked up to to be the teachers of God, had them in such a lock of fear that they didn't even want to mention Jesus' name in the healing of their son because of the fear that they'd get kicked out of the synagogue and they wouldn't be welcomed back in. That's how their religious leaders led them. That's the world they lived in. The most godly and religious people who held the scriptures most close to their hearts and lived it out day by day had the sheep of God's pasture in such fear they were afraid to say out loud who healed their son. Those were the shepherds of Israel. And the sheep were terrified. So at the end of this story, at the end of this story, Jesus bumps into this man again. This man who can now see for the very first time. And Jesus says, it's spiritual blindness. I've come here to help people who are blind see Jesus heard they had thrown the man out, and when he found the man, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man who can now see says, Who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The Pharisees who were standing there, they asked the question, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you see, your guilt remains. And this is how chapter 10 begins. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep gate by the gate, the pen, but climbs in some other way, that person's a thief, they're a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And this is what Dan preached for us last week. Jesus uses this illustration. Imagine all God's people like a flock of sheep. Imagine that you are their leaders, you are their shepherd. Are you going through the gate? Are you approaching them the right way? Are you leading them to life? Jesus teaches them and says, I am the gate. They go through me to be saved. They go through me to find abundant life. So this is where today's sermon starts at verse 11. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, he runs away, then the wolf attacks, the flock scatters it. Verse 13, the man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. Imagine Jesus is looking right at the Pharisees. He says, some of us are just hired caretakers of the sheep. We're here to make a profit. We look after them as long as we gain something, right? As long as there's change in our pockets. But the second trouble comes, the second it's going to cost the shepherd something, what do you guys do? 
well, we're not in it for that pain. We're not going to make that sacrifice. They disappear. They're a hired hand. They don't own the sheep. What if the sheep die? They're fine. They'll find other sheep to go take care of. They'll get paid. This isn't the only flock of sheep. Jesus says, I don't lead God's people that way. I'm not hired to take care of them and make a few bucks, and the second it gets hard, I disappear. I own them. I'm their shepherd. They're my sheep. In contrast to you who disappear when the wolf comes, I'll go after the wolf. Why? Because he values the sheep to the point where he'll put his own life on the line to take the wolf down. And the Pharisees are listening to this. Jesus says in verse 14, again, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me. Listen to the intimacy of this. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. That was the most intimate relationship Jesus was a part of. From all eternity past, Jesus had been in this relationship with the Father. There was nothing in between them. They knew each other completely. They're one God. And he says, that's me. That's my sheep. That's us. That's why I'll jump in front of them. That's why when the wolf comes, I'll head for the wolf, not in the opposite direction. I'll lay my life down for them. They know me, and I know them. If you remember from Dan's sermon last week, he talked about verses 3 and 4 a little bit in John chapter 10. And it talks about the shepherd leading the sheep with his voice. He calls out the sheep by their names. He leads them out. I've never taken care of sheep. Never raised sheep. Do you know what we raise on our farm? Cows. Do you know what you don't do to lead a cow? What do you not do? You don't walk in front of it. You don't call it by name. You, know, you want to lead 30 cows from one pasture to the other, so you just open the gate. Come on. Come on. And they all just look at you. Come on. Maybe if I whistle, they'll come. Maybe if, No. What do the cows do? They walk completely in the other direction. How do you move a cow? You get behind it. You make some noise. Some people cheat and they use horses. Nuh-uh. Do it on foot. Do it the old-fashioned way like we do it. <laughs> get behind the thing right where it can kick you and you make some noise. <laughs> and if you make noise behind it at the right angle, at the right direction, you can steer a cow. But you have to chase it. It'll stop if you stop. You have to stay right on it. I think it's really neat that Jesus leads his sheep in a different way. Do you notice that? Jesus doesn't have to scare the people to get them to follow him. He doesn't have to scare them to steer his people. He says, I'll walk in front of them. I'll speak. And because of the intimate relationship that we have, because I know him and he knows me, they'll trust me. They feel comfortable in my presence. In the presence of a stranger, they won't. 
They don't recognize the voice. But in my presence, watch this. They'll follow. And the Pharisees, remember who's all here, right? The man born blind over here, you have your Pharisees. They built this whole structure of religious obedience to scare the people in a certain direction. The Sabbath was supposed to be about honoring God and keeping it holy. But they turned it into, you can't even pick up your mat. You can't even make mud and put it on someone's eyes. They turned it into this whole thing it wasn't supposed to be. Because if they could make it more specific, if they could make it harder, if they could narrow it down, if they could live it out better than everybody else, then they could hold it up of The people were afraid of the Pharisees. This mom and dad not being a part of this conversation is proof of that. They were afraid. Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep. They're not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too, they'll listen to my voice. There'll be one flock. There'll be one shepherd. Jesus is about to unite all the people. Something the Pharisees would have never wanted to do. Include Samaritans? Include Gentiles? No, their goal was to keep the flock pure from other sheep. To make other sheep feel excluded. They wanted them to leave. They didn't want them to feel welcome. Jesus says there's more sheep than just these people. I'm going to bring them and make them one. Not multiple flocks led by one shepherd. We're going to make them one. And they're going to be led by one shepherd. This is giving us hints at what's coming in chapter 16 and chapter 17. When Jesus prays that the people who believe in him would be one. Just as he is the father, they're one. He would pray that the people would become one. Jesus says in verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. You see, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. The father's great love for Jesus was flowing out of Jesus' submission, humility, and obedience. You want to know the reason the Father loves me? I'll give up my life for the sheep. He's asked me to, I'll do it. It costs me everything, I will. The Father loves me. I'm walking in his will, and I'm not going to deviate. Even if it means becoming nothing. Philippians chapter 2, you might recognize some of that. But they're not going to steal my life. You don't understand even as I make myself nothing, I don't lose the fact that I'm divine, that I'm God. I have the authority. I will choose to lay my life down. I will choose to pick it back up. They're not going to steal it from me. People may have watched Jesus die on the cross and thought, look at him. He said he was a God, but he was killed like a man. Jesus says, no. You can't steal the authority away from a God. I have that authority. 
I'll lay my life down. I'll pick it up when I choose. He never loses control. The Jews heard these words and they were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed. He's raving mad. Why listen to him? And the others said of Jesus, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So on one side, people who are beginning to see he is the anointed one, the Messiah. People on the other side, still stuck in doubt. But why this teaching that the shepherd would lay down his life? Because Jesus wasn't going to lead people in fear. I was visiting with someone just a couple days ago here at the church. We had a really good conversation. We were talking about the difference between leading in love and leading in fear. People will follow someone that they're afraid of, but only to a certain point. But when a leader leads them and shows genuine love and care for them, all of a sudden someone is willing to give up everything. It's very different. Jesus was fundamentally changing the way that leadership would look like in God's family. It makes me think of this. As I was reading it, I thought of John 13. And he says this, my children, he says to his disciples, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I'm going, you can't come. A new command I give you is love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. This sacrificial love was going to define Jesus' ministry. And I can't make a big enough deal out of this. It was going to define Jesus' ministry to the point where if the disciples could demonstrate this same love, all people would know they belong to Jesus. This is Jesus' trademark move. Selfless love. And if you, he says to his disciples, can love people with selfless love, they'll look at you and say, you're a Jesus follower. Aren't you? You're a Jesus follower. I see selfless love. You must be his because he was the great demonstration of selfless love. Do you belong to him? So why would Jesus say this three chapters later? Because he was the shepherd who would jump in front of the sheep and take on the wolf, even if it cost him his life. This will be who we are from now on. The people who lay down their lives for each other. So as Jesus has this final beautiful supper with his best friends and says to them, guys, this is our trademark move. This is who we are. We love others ahead of ourselves. Everyone in the world will know us, recognize us by this, that we love others ahead of us. Remember this new command.
the church built on this command. You see in the book of Acts, when there was a need in the church, people sold a field. When there was poor in their numbers, people would come and bring their wealth and lay it at the apostles' feet and say, just share it with everybody else. This is who we are. We're people that love others ahead of ourselves. And that's been our trademark for 2,000 years. So do you see that in our church? I'm saying because Jesus didn't just teach us he was the good shepherd so that we could absorb that information and reflect on how beautiful that is. He gave us that and taught us that and demonstrated it so that you and I could live it out. But do we do that? Do we do that? Do you and I, do we love other people ahead of ourselves? In this number, in this group, do we do that well? Or do we talk about it and sing about it and pray about it and then go home and put ourselves first? Do we put others ahead of ourselves? The answer, my friends, is yes. I'm standing up here this morning with my wife getting a quilt from people that dedicated all those hours to show love to someone else ahead of themselves. I've watched over the past two years as people have struggled in this church family and other people in the family have stepped up and said, I want to encourage them. I want to do something for them. I want to make a meal for them. I want to pray with them. I want to do something to show that I love them, even if it has a cost to me. Why do we do that? Because our shepherd did. This last week, I had a conversation that I had no idea was going to completely change the way I was reading this story. This last week, Natalie got accepted into Bible school. Natalie applied for Thrive. Maybe it's two weeks ago now. And Natalie got accepted. And that's pretty wild. Well done, Natalie. You have to understand this, though. Her parents don't follow Jesus. She came to our youth group as a young girl in grade seven and has been a part of our church family here for years. And she has to tell mom and dad after high school, I want to pursue Jesus. And neither of you know him, but I want to pursue him. There's not a lot of money to pay for something like this. There's not a lot of support at home to pursue something like this. But she wants to pursue Jesus. So after she finds out that she got accepted to Bible school, someone in our church comes up to me last week and says to me, Darren, we need to do something. So what do you mean we need to do something? She got accepted in a Bible school and her family might not be able to cover this, might not want to cover this, but she needs to know that she has another family, a family that will cover this, a family that will support her, a family that's going to make sure that if she wants to pursue Jesus, it can happen. 
And this person told me, we're going to step up and we're going to make sure this happens. They told me that because they heard that she got accepted in a Bible school, they were willing to put thousands of dollars on the line to make sure that she goes because she needs to know that she is a family that cares about her. Who does that? Who does that? That's a follower of Jesus. And I'll tell you why. That's selfless love. And my king told me that when you see selfless love like that, people are going to know that's a follower of Jesus. Why? Because our shepherd jumped in front of the sheep to lay down everything for them. That's why this all fits together. This is who we are. People that love others ahead of ourselves. That's who Bridgeway is. That's what we are going to pursue together, to be a church that loves God and loves others ahead of ourselves. That's who we are. We have a new pastor coming to help us in a month from now. You wonder, oh, I wonder what that'll be like. How's it going to change things? What's going to happen? I'll, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to love God, and then we're going to love other people ahead of ourselves. That's what we're going to do. And that's not going to change. And this pastor is going to be welcomed into that, and that's what we're going to do together. Even if it costs us, we're going to do it and do it well. You'd paint it on the walls, loving God and loving other people. That's what we do. That's who we are. But it's so cool that it's more than just talk, that it's more than just words. It's one thing to hear people say, I love people in this church family, and I'd do anything for them. And it's another thing to hear someone come up to me and say, we're going to do it. Regardless of what it costs us, we're going to do it. That's the way my king loved me. That's the way I want to teach my boys that the king loves us. If you want to be a part of this, you can. I want to invite you into this too. If you want to be a part of helping Natalie go to Bible school this year. Talk to Patricia in the office and you can chip in. And you don't have to, it's completely fine. But we as a family are going to make sure that she gets to go. We're going to take care of one another. Because this person in the church told me that's what we do. That's what we do. Amen, it's what we do. We take care of each other. We're going to sing together again. We're going to go down and we're going to have lunch together. And I hope this morning, as you celebrate with each other and as you go home worshiping from this place into a life of worship, into a week of worship, your heart is stirred by the shepherd who laid down his life. And you ask yourself this question this week. How can I better lay down my life for those around me? How can I love the way that the shepherd loves? Let me pray and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, 
You deserve all the glory and all the honor. This morning, Lord, as we worship in this place, as we read the scriptures, as we marvel at who you are, we're stunned by your love. Who loves this way? You do. As we celebrate communion, who sacrifices this much? You do. And you've called us to be a people that love that same way. But you don't do it by fear, Lord Jesus. You don't hold this punishment above our heads. We don't have to run from your presence like the mom and dad. That's not the way you lead your people. That's not the way you lead your sheep. You walk ahead of them and you whisper and they follow. And I thank you that we as your sheep never have to be afraid that you're going to abandon us. We never have to be afraid that you're not going to be there. You will always take on the wolf for us. You are the good shepherd. And we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Thank you.